Welcome to the Three Tomatoes Happy Hour, and we do love happy hour and the clinking of glasses and cheers to all you fabulous women who are fully living your lives at every age and every stage. And here's the best news, every hour is happy hour. So whether you clink cheers with your coffee mug or your afternoon cappuccino, remember as the song says, it's five o'clock somewhere. Join us for some grown-up fun, interesting and stimulating conversations that will motivate, inspire, or just make you laugh. And for more grown-up fun, visit our website, The Three Tomatoes, and the three is spelled out, and sign up for our newsletters. Now sit back and relax and enjoy the episode. Greetings, tomatoes, and welcome to the Three Tomatoes Happy Hour Podcast. I'm Kim Selby, your host and the San Francisco editor of the Three Tomatoes newsletter. Today, my guest is Dr. Hugh Melnick. He is a reproductive endocrinologist who's been treating patients with thyroid and fertility problems since 1976. And I think this is really great because in 1983, Dr. Melnick founded Advanced Fertility Services, which was the first outpatient in vitro fertilization center in New York City. He is also the author of The Pregnancy Prescription, which is a popular guide for couples having difficulties having a baby. Now, most of you listening are well past that age in menopause, postmenopause, premenopause. However, what's important is Dr. Melnick's passion is helping people suffering with hypothyroidism. And I'm sure you all know someone who has received that diagnosis. And sometimes they go hand in hand, menopause and hypothyroidism. So I would like to thank you for being here today, Dr. Melnick, and welcome. Thank you, it's a pleasure. So I think that many people are confused as I am about the definition of hypothyroidism. If you could just explain that to me and maybe about how you got into that area of expertise. Yes, well, I'd be happy to do that. So uh, hypothyroidism is an underactive thyroid gland. Now the thyroid gland is the master gland of the body. And what it does is it supplies the energy for every cell in the body to work properly. If a cell doesn't have enough energy, it doesn't function properly and patients have symptoms. And there are over about 200 symptoms that a person can have when they have an underactive thyroid. And uh, it is uh, a very strong genetic uh, trend in families for hypothyroidism. So um, I got into it mainly because um, everybody in my family, including myself, is hypothyroidism, uh, hypothyroid, uh, including my six-year-old uh, grandson has it. And uh, so children can have it. And uh, uh, it, it presents a bit differently with uh, ADD-type symptoms uh, that uh, uh, focusing symptoms and uh, difficulty in school and acting out. So uh, again, uh, the typical symptom that people think about is that uh, people who have underactive thyroid are very obese. Well, that may be the case in some instances, but uh, more accurately, I'd say it's people who go on a strict diet, uh, exercise, starve themselves, and can't lose weight because the thyroid gland controls the metabolism. If your thyroid is low, your metabolism is slow, and you burn—you don't burn calories properly. So the weight stays on. And as a 
you know, a byproduct of low metabolism, uh, people are cold all the time. A uh, very common sign of it is uh, if you sleep with socks on at night, you most probably do have a thyroid condition and uh, it's cold intolerance. So when you go to a doctor for your regular checkup, if I go to my internist and they do regular blood work, do they automatically check for a, a hypoactive hypothyroidism? You know, I don't know what the tests they do with blood work. I just had blood work done and they didn't say anything about that. Well, they think they test for hypothyroidism, but they base the, um, the whole diagnosis on a test called the thyroid stimulating hormone or the TSH test. Now, the TSH test is normal in about 40% of people who are actually hypothyroid. So you see what happens that uh, you go in there feeling tired, losing your hair, cold, you know, um, brain fog, all the typical symptoms, feel lousy. So the doctor says, well, your TSH, your thyroid blood test, the TSH is normal. So uh, you're a hypochondriac or you're a nut, you know, go home and, uh, you know, get a life. But, you know, you're, you're tired and you're depressed and everything like that. That's not the answer. So the, the problem is that uh, blood tests are often misleading. And what doctors these days don't understand is that you can have blood tests in the quote normal range. And I'll get back to normal, what normal means, range, but still be hypothyroid. Now normal, when you look at lab tests, the normal range is, uh, doesn't mean you're normal and healthy and feel good. What it means is you're related to a norm or a statistical average. So it's a very bad choice of words. At least nowadays on lab reports, they say the reference range. And, uh, but many doctors look at the reference range think, oh, it's the normal range. So if you're between number one and number 10, uh, as in on the lab report, uh, you're okay. Even if you're just terribly incapacitated. So, you know, it, it all goes back to, um, you know, medical school. Like, luckily I, I was, uh, I'm old enough to have been in medical school in the, in the 1960s. And so in those days, they taught us how to treat hypothyroidism because it was before the days of blood tests. So we were taught to the symptoms of hypothyroidism, uh, what are the possible symptoms. We were taught to sit down, look the patient in the eye and ask them how they're feeling, what are their symptoms, ask them if they have any of these symptoms. And then if the patient has multiple symptoms that are hypothyroid, then we make the diagnosis of their hypothyroid, okay? So you get the diagnosis, you don't have any blood tests. And then um, in those days, we only had the natural thyroid medicine that's called armor thyroid. And that was the, you know, the original medicine for, for thyroid, because like in the uh, late 19th uh, century, you see all these pe people with big thick necks, they have goiters. So where does that come from? There was just not enough iodine in the food in those days. So um, in, in the old days, uh, they didn't have, uh, you know, real pharmaceuticals. What they had is either you ate a plant or you ate a part of an animal. So what happened was that they, somebody figured out that, that uh, well, if your thyroid's swollen, why don't you eat a part of the thyroid, the pig thyroid? And sure enough, these uh, orders went away. It was a great discovery because the human pig uh, and the human being has exactly the same thyroid profile. There's five different thyroid hormones and, and it, it's uh, in the pig. So well did they eat just, I mean, they actually ate a pig thyroid or did they eat like bacon? No, not, not, 
couldn't even do a pork tenderloin. I mean, <laughs> you, know, you have to eat the thyroid, which, uh, you know, sometimes if you smell uh, the uh, natural thyroid pills, you get this little beefy uh, aroma to it. And uh, so figure that times a thousand. And, uh, but yeah, but people were desperate and it actually worked. I mean, you know, in the old days they used to, well, if a man wanted to increase his sex drive, uh, what did they give him? They gave him a bull's testicles. Now, unfortunately, a bull's testicles, if you eat them, they're called mountain oysters, by the way, uh, yeah. the testosterone breaks down in the stomach, so it doesn't work. But thyroid hormone gets absorbed right away and doesn't, uh, is not affected by the stomach acids. So this is oh. how it's going to be. So, so they so they did this in the olden days, the olden and days. then and then when you were going through med school, what was it that they were doing? Is that well, different than today? They they we were taught the old school way to do it, and uh, and then in the early 1970s, um, uh, some people uh, discovered uh, a, a blood test for the TSH level. So there, everything went down the hill, even though it was a great scientific uh, discovery. So what happened is that uh, the, one of the pharmaceutical companies uh, developed a, a synthetic uh, thyroid hormone called Synthroid, right? Synthroid is probably one of the most frequently written prescriptions in the world. I mean, you know, a lot of people have hypothyroidism, but uh, I mean, but, and, it, and because of the promotion of the drug companies, uh, this was the new modern medication, this old, armor thyroid, this pig stuff is no good. So everybody got transitioned, including yours truly, to uh, use the Synthroid. And uh, so everybody got on this. And there's, the problem is that yeah, Synthroid works for some people, but it, it doesn't work for 40% of the people. And, and why is that? Well, this is when you're taking uh, Synthroid, which is called T4. Um, which is four iodine atoms, you know. Um, so it has to be converted in the body to T3, which is the real active form of thyroid hormone. And that T3 gets into the cells and the cells, uh, gives the cells energy. You know, it binds on to the mitochondria, which are the uh, organs of energy and uh, gets the cells working properly. Every cell in the body, whether it's your hair cell or uh, whether it's your brain cell or, you know, whether it's your, uh, there's all the cells of the body that metabolizes uh, food. So if, if you're not getting enough T3 in the cells, then um, you're not gonna feel good. So uh, at least 40% of the people don't have the ability to convert enough T4 into T3 to remove the patient's symptoms. And of course, Armour Thyroid has T4 and T3 in it. So people don't have to do that conversion. Uh, so, but what happened was that, you know, they, people look only at the TSH level and, and just only in the most gross, uh, and I say gross, you know, most obvious case of hypothyroidism is the TSH elevated. So, you know, the, the, uh, the, the T4 synthroid brings the TSH down. And so the doctor says, well, you're fine. Your TSH is fine, but not asking or not, knowing that you have all the other symptoms, you're not feeling better, uh, and they don't know about T3. So, you know, that they say, you're fine, go home, don't bother me, you know? Uh, but yeah, there, are now, there are tests for T3, and there's uh, also other blood tests that have to be done to 
diagnose other forms of hypothyroidism. But it all goes back to the old days. So when you look, when someone comes in to see you, because you are an endocrinologist, so by the time they come to you, do they think they have some sort of thyroid problem? Right. Well, a lot of them are on uh, Synthroid or T4, and they're feeling lousy, right? So uh, and those are the ones that, you know, I, I, when you check their T3 levels, they're very low. And that's where their symptoms come from. So I, I transition them off uh, Synthroid by adding some armor on. And sometimes uh, they do very well uh, on a combination or sometimes the, it's too much for them. So we get rid of the Synthroid. And, and when I treat patients, it's all by how are you feeling? Do your, are your symptoms still underactive or do you feel a little bit overactive here? And so by you know, finessing it and taking the medication at different times and, and, and you know, there's seasonal variations to some people, they need more in the cold weather and less in the hot weather. You know, everybody is different and um, your metabolic needs for thyroid change as you get older, you know, because certain thyroid conditions, uh, which this Hashimoto's thyroid, which is a whole nother topic. Uh, it's one of the important reasons to do blood tests to see if someone has antibodies against the thyroid. That is so interesting. What really sticks out to me as very important that you said is you listen to the person. You yes. know, you at, you talk to them, you look at them or whatever it is, and you really listen to them. And I really have honestly felt found that today in this day and age that doctors are internists, probably not all of them, but they seem to put everybody in a category. And if you have high cholesterol, they say stop eating eggs or meat or whatever. And I had a little bit of high cholesterol in my last mm -hmm. point in my last blood work. And I had talked to my doctor and said, but I don't eat meat. I don't eat dairy. I eat fish. And so of course the, the report comes back and says, stop eating eggs, stop eating red meat. I'm like, but she doesn't understand. I told her I don't eat those things, you know? So what you do is so vitally important by actually listening to a person and, yeah. and hearing their story and what their ailments are. And I applaud you for that. Thank you. Well, thank you. Well, that's to me, the, the enjoyment of practicing medicine that, um, you know, that there, you, you have a relationship with a person, you get to know them, they get to know you and uh, you get to help them. And, and uh, that's to me, it's very rewarding to somebody after 12 weeks and changing the medicines around that they feel fairly good. I mean, sometimes it takes more than 12 weeks. Sometimes we have to change the medication. It's not always, you know, a, a sure fix. And especially when someone's had their thyroid removed, that's really a difficult uh, thing to, uh, to treat because, you know, people say, oh, you know, like they're, they're feeling lousy, their thyroid's overactive, um, or they have a growth in their thyroid. And so the, you know, the doctor says, all right, we'll take it out. We'll give you some Synthroid and you'll feel better afterwards. Uh-uh, it doesn't work that way. That once the thyroid is out, then uh, you're starting from ground zero and it's very, very hard to get people you know, feeling good. That's really a challenge. So the reason I know people who've had their thyroids removed is because they found cancer on them. Right. And, but what are, do people just remove them even if there's no cancer? Well, yes, I mean, uh, that, uh, you know, cancer uh, is, uh, you know, it, it's no controversy. You have to get it out of the body. But, right. you, know, um, you know, in some cases you can remove half the thyroid aside with a cancerous lesion and watch the other side. Um, then the person does very well. Sometimes they don't even need thyroid replacement for years. 
So hyper, hyper, hypothyroidism, yeah. can it occur, occur at any time? Or like your grandson had it at six, but you yeah. knew probably because you studied this and obviously yeah. you're an expert in the field. Were you able to diagnose him, realize something was wrong? No, absolutely. I have to, I have to plead innocent. Uh, his parents were very uh, astute and, uh, you know, followed up with their pediatrician who's also very astute. And uh, so, you know, they, uh, they did this one on their own. So I just applaud them and uh, keep my mouth shut like a good grandfather, right? <laughs> so is this something that you have your whole life or it presents later? And you said there's a tie-in with menopause. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Well, there's certain times, uh, most common time, uh, it starts as puberty, uh, after having a baby, and at menopause, okay? Uh, at least a minimum of 35% of the female population will be hypothyroid by the time they're menopausal. And there's probably more. There's probably a lot of people that are not diagnosed or, you know, misdiagnosed. So uh, it's about 10% men. And as I said before, it is genetic. It goes in the families, usually on the maternal side, but 10% on the paternal side. And, uh, and, and, and I laugh and I look back upon, uh, you know, my grandparents and parents, they all had the little armor thyroid pills. <laughs> and, uh, that was my first, uh, uh, you know, introduction to it. And um, so- well, did, did you know you wanted to study this when you went to med school because of the history in your family? Not really, not really. It just became- uh, you know, I, I think from the fertility part, there were so many women who had hypothyroidism undiagnosed and I couldn't get pregnant. And um, I remember what my mentor said that, you know, in the 1950s and 60s, we really didn't have any hormones other than thyroid. So women came in, you just gave them some thyroid and a lot of them got pregnant on their own. Really? Yeah. So, uh, you know, and again, with miscarriage, it's very common um, for um, you know, women who are hypothyroid not only can't get pregnant, they can miscarry. And hypothyroidism untreated in the maternal situation with a mother, you know, she, she has more uh, risk for uh, premature delivery, preeclampsia, stillbirth, and it's passed on the kids. You know, the baby's thyroid doesn't form until the fifth month. So if the mother is not transmitting the thyroid to the baby, when the neurological system and brain is uh, forming in those, you know, eight weeks to 16 weeks or so, um, then they, they find that there's a, uh, an increase in, uh, uh, you know, learning disabilities, behavioral thing, and, and there's even a link, and autism is a very complicated thing, but, but that there's uh, a link to autism, and, and you know, I, I always ask when women have the thyroid, you know, I always ask if any of your kids having problems in school, any, uh, uh, any issues, uh, you know, with learning or behavior. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, especially if they have Hashimoto's, a lot of these kids come up with it. That's a really good doctor right there that I'm talking to people. <laughs> so if you said that you think 30% of women, is that... More. More, More than, is, well, there's is, probably so many left undiagnosed. I mean, yeah. if people are listening to this and thinking like myself, oh, I, my hair is thinning. I don't know what else, what other symptoms you might yeah. want to tell us all the symptoms, but high, I, I, high cholesterol. Uh, oh, high cholesterol. You have a little bit, Yeah. but it's the good yeah. high cholesterol. It's high well, or something. That's a good one. But you know, you have, you have to, uh, uh, you know, like statins are the worst thing in the world. Just to get off on a tangent, but, 
but yeah, so um, thank you. But I, I think that uh, there's, there's a lot of people out there that, that are suffering needlessly. So what would we do? Do we go to our doctor and say, hey, listen, these are my symptoms. And mm -hmm. they say, oh, we did a test, you're fine. Yeah. But well, I guess we have to take it one step further and see you. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, a doctor like myself. Now, the nice thing about uh, hypothyroidism that we can do it uh, uh, telemedical uh, consultations uh, because uh, a lot of it is going over the symptoms. And then let's say, you know, I have patients around the country and, uh, you know, Europe. So uh, it's easy in this country. I send them a requisition for a lab test. If they need a thyroid sonogram, I, you know, send them to a radiologist in their home and they send me the results. And then electronically, we do the prescriptions nowadays. So it's just like sitting across the desk from me, and especially with COVID, that, uh, uh, you know, more and more patients, and they're happy not to come to my office, you know. And I'm oh, yeah. much more in time on, on the phone than I am in, in real time. Well, do you think, would you recommend that most women figure out if they do have this or if they have some symptoms that they should indeed explore further? Because everybody wants to feel great. <laughs> Why not? You know, you've you got to be aggressive uh, when, when it pertains to your own health. And yeah. And, and again, the, that uh, there are like, you know, for instance, there's a, a wonderful website called Hypothyroid Mom. And uh, uh, the woman who runs this uh, and, and right, you know, she really became one of the world's experts on hypothyroidism because she had uh, a hypothyroid issue that was affecting miscarriages and everything. And uh, she couldn't get the help she needed. And so she became the expert. And uh, again, so um, because doctors, we doctors are, you know, sometimes resistant to, you know, change and, and unfortunately resistant to listening to patients' requests. Yes, you do have to be an advocate for your own health. I, yeah. I do understand that. Is there anything naturally, are there any foods that can assist people in this? Or is it really just, it has to be medicine? It has to be the specific, um, you know, formulation? Well, yeah, it has to be medicine in, in some cases. And uh, some cases uh, of hypothyroidism can be brought on uh, by stress. And uh, those cases are not lifelong, but like if someone has Hashimoto's thyroiditis, uh, that not only do they have to take thyroid medicine their whole life because the immune system is always attacking the thyroid gland and killing off cells, but also they have to be on a gluten-free and possibly a dairy-free diet because these types of diets inflame the immune system to attack the thyroid. So, so what, diet is part of it. What is Hashimoto's? Hashimoto's is um, called a, one of those autoimmune diseases. And um, autoimmune diseases mean that the body mistakenly attacks its own normal healthy tissue. So like in, in Hashimoto's, the way it works is um, that uh, Gluten is a plant protein. So when you eat some, something, you know, flour, wheat, something like that, uh, normally it stays confined to your intestinal system and just gets pooped out. It's never in the blood system. The immune system is not used to seeing it. But some people have uh, some leaky, they call leaky gut, you know, that, I mean, it's not really leaking, but, you know, a, mo a molecule can get in. So the gluten molecule gets into the bloodstream. So the immune system wakes up and say, I don't know this guy here. I'm going to attack him. So the antibodies are formed. 
Now, the, where the thyroid comes in is that part of the, the structure of the thyroid cell wall in molecular structure of it is like the gluten molecule. So when you eat gluten, the immune system gets turned on, produces uh, antibodies that by mistake attack, attack the thyroid gland. And when it kills the thyroid cells, um, people get hypoactive, underactive. But if there are another type of cells that, they, that the thyroid hormone is stored, and if those, think about it, you know, a missile hitting a, a silo full of uh, corn, you know, it's all over the place and people get hypersymptoms. Oh, interesting. So Hashimoto's is um, particularly just related as an autoimmune disease to yes. the thyroid? Yes, to the thyroid. But there, you know, again, people who have uh, autoimmune conditions oh, yeah. generally have, you know, more than one or could, not everybody, but a small percentage. So, you know, somebody says, well, I have, uh, uh, you know, colitis or, uh, you know, yeah, that you look for the antibodies, you, you know, you can, uh, uh, in, in many instances, and, and or somebody says, geez, I, I, you know, I had this uh, stomach issue and I went gluten-free and I feel great. That's a, a tip-off when they come to look for the thyroid to check their anti-thyroid antibodies. Oh, so so you check their antibodies through a blood yeah. test that blood, way? Blood yeah. test, yes. And uh, so I do do blood tests, I really do, but I don't look, I mean, I look, I do it and I look at the TSH, but the TSH is, is basically meaningless. Oh, so interesting, really, so great. We're nearing the end of our time. This is so interesting, really. I'm like, I am gonna make an appointment now. I wanna be 100% sure <laughs> that I'm 100%. But I think you've really opened my eyes and our listeners' eyes around hypothyroidism and perhaps they might have it or they might know someone who does. And I think it's great that you offer this telemedicine, telehealth, you know, that people can actually see you because I like the fact that you actually sit down and talk to a person and care about their symptoms. I think that's the number one thing that stands out for me because I think it's all about caring about a patient. But you are, of fortunately, you went into medicine at a time where you really, I am assuming, don't mean to put words in your mouth, but that you wanted to help people. You were doing it to really help people. Yes, absolutely. So that's great. Thank yes. you. Is there anything else you want to add about this? I mean, I know it's a very vast subject and we've only scratched the surface, but I think you've given us um, quite a lot to go on. Sure. Well, just one, one thing, um, little heads up for, you know, grandmoms or, you know, moms uh, who have uh, uh, daughters who have uh, thyroid conditions, especially Hashimoto's there is a tendency for some women with Hashimoto's to go through premature menopause. So, um, so in their, even in their early 20s, so the antibodies kill off the eggs, so to speak. And so I think that just being aware of this, and so a young woman, if she has Hashimoto's and her egg, egg reserve is lower than it should be, this is the time that she can freeze her eggs because she's gonna go through her menopause you know, 30, 30 to 35. And, you know, not every woman is in a position to have a baby until they're older, which is not the ideal, but, you know, it is what it is. So having the frozen eggs is a very good insurance policy. Just being forewarned and, under, you know, understand the situation because that's very, very rarely known. That is so important to know. You're right. You're right. We, you wouldn't know that. And so many people have fertility issues and obviously you know that as well. Right, right, sure. Well. Wow. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Melnick. I really appreciate your uh, enlightening us about hypothyroidism. 
And really, your website is, tell us your website. Uh, it's uh, my name, Hugh Melnick, MD. Hugh Melnick, MD, great. Well, anybody who has any questions, you have some great articles in there, some blog articles that I've read, and they're very interesting and very informative, so people can learn a lot more there, too. Yeah. Thank you. Nice meeting, too, and thanks for your time. And cheers, tomatoes. <laughs>